0: As a nation, we have made significant progress in securing the civil rights of the LGBTQ plus Americans. So you harvest the bodies of other beings to replace your own tissues. Hello, lovers, comrades, friends. Welcome to Discursive Ditty. This, as you may know, is the first episode, and I, as you may also know, am Red Medusala, and... I am here to talk to you about anything and literally everything. So, the way that this podcast is going to work, format-wise, is this is basically a form of self-therapy in which I, who suffer from uh, hypomanic tendencies a lot of the time, will have an idea or I'll see something or something will happen to me that will just stir a million microscopic fibers in my brain and they'll be going at full speed and then I will become obsessive about it and so what I'm attempting to do with this is I want to talk about the topics or discuss the ideas in my mind and do it now and here so I don't become manic and obsessive about it, okay? Now what this podcast is not going to be is it is not going to be one of the 800 million authoritative takes um, that we have circulating podcasts, YouTube, Uh, everything, Twitter, Facebook, etc. What I'm doing instead is I'm just basically ruminating on something in the broadest sense possible. I'm digesting and reinterpreting and synthesizing all of the ideas and concepts and whatnot that I've been marinated in um, for however long a period. The Long and Skinny Short is it's a podcast where I just talk to myself for an hour. Um, So with that in mind, today we are going to be talking about what I think is one of my favorite Star Trek Voyager episodes, Faces. And I can't remember what episode it is, but it's in season one and it's real good. Um, And so, you know, I'll just get into it. Um, Number one... I was having a very tough time getting into Star Trek: The Voyager. Um, I had just finished Star Trek: Next uh, Generations. I had just finished Star Trek: um, Picard, the the '80s one. And when I was done with that, I immediately delve into Deep Space Nine, which has a you know a bumpy pilot and not always the the best banger first season episodes but it's you know it's very engaging like with the characters and the situation and um the general setting that they establish and so I tore through that and then I thought the natural progression of things would be Voyager so I watched the pilot of Voyager and um oh boy there is a lot going on um as my friend nola explains in a podcast she is on called the sub prime directive where they talk about uh, star treks um that first pilot for voyager is just overwhelming in the the shenanigans and the goofs and spoofs and the general incomprehension even though i understand it perfectly um and i've seen it a couple times it's the only one of any of those shows that I've seen the pilot more than once. I've only ever seen TNG and DS9. Enterprise I've only seen those. Well, that's not true. I saw Enterprise twice. Um okay, so I couldn't get into Voyager. I basically made it a couple episodes past the pilot and then I just I got grounded. I just couldn't really find the interest or the direction to kind of invest in it, and I think I skipped ahead to enterprise but that also didn't really catch me um, and all of this was when I was out to myself but not out to anyone else really and in kind of a dark place the last four years uh, and so that was the phase When I was trying to get into those both those shows, Enterprise and Voyager, and I I couldn't do it. And then now I'm at the phage and phage, at the phage from this episode, I'm at the phase of that, you know, I'm the first half essentially, not half, but the first like big part of your transition, you know, starting hormones and just trying to, you know, deal with everything else. And then during this phase, I had the phage. I had no problem getting into Voyager and Enterprise, and it, and it's so interesting to me. And I think a bit of it was, the other podcast, but because all of you know them are they are all very uh, supportive and adamant of. of um, well, we all we all got Enterprise pilled together, which was really fun. But um, they they are all uh, big big Voyager heads, and so they were trying to get me into it, and and it just it wasn't sticking. But then but then it, like. Enterprise was probably a few months ago, and then Voyager was really, really recently in that I just started watching it again. I just figured, I mean, it was like either that or start the X-Files, and I don't really feel like downloading that right now, and I started watching Voyager, and it was also, it coincided with a kind of um, very intense, uh, like, week. Um, Emotions and you know, like, situation and just, like, general anxiety and depression and manic tendencies and whatnot. And it was just so bizarre that the two of them completely, like Neelix and Tuvok, just came together and formed a new kind of greater understanding of each other. I mean, maybe that's, like, naive to say about a show that was on the UPN network. Um, Just the weirdness that Voyager is, the kind of really alien... Galactic Galactic in the in the like cosmic sense of genuinely horrifying is, is what I would describe Voyager as as a show. It is like grotesque and like unsettling in, in all the ways that I really like Cronenberg for, like Videodrome and The Fly. And I think I kinda knew that, but I think I always thought it leaned more in the camp direction, which it absolutely does, and is why it's such a good show. But I had neglected what a weird odyssey it is, and and it is kind of basically the odyssey. I mean, you have one ship, one crew, getting thrown all, you know, around the cosmic sea. Slowly, crew members are dying one by one, and it's up to the, you know, the captain's uh, fortitude and heroic character to bring them home and it was through that lens that it really kind of struck with me and in the same way that I think when I was first coming out to myself I got really into um, body horror and those kind I mean I've always kind of been into them but I I got into Cronenberg really big and um, a lot of films like that And and it's the same thing where it's just You now have this new tactile sensation of being aware of a kind of... It's so hard to articulate, which is why I want to use this episode to try and do it, but it's this idea that when you're transitioning or when you're on hormones, that the entire way you perceive reality does also shift with it. And it's really hard to kind of quantify that to people I mean when you talk to other uh, trans folk they get it intrinsically but when you try to talk to cis people about it they don't always understand exactly what it is you mean or they think you are being hyperbolic or exaggerating in some capacity but this episode I think is all of those concerns? I, I I was trying to think earlier today and yesterday how I wanted to frame the episode because I've been telling people it's an an like an allegory for for being trans this episode faces, but I don't know that that's really the right way to frame it. Um, I know on Wikipedia and some other things talk a lot about race that it's you know a, like a racial allegory, which I think personally is a little problematic because the thing is in the episode they separate B'Elanna um her both her Klingon DNA and then her human DNA so you get two different B'Elannas you get one that's full Klingon and one that's full human and in the episode there are these ideas um I mean I'll, I'll explain it a little bit more in more detail but there are these ideas of kind of intrinsic values attached to them and I think that is whatever when it's a sci-fi show about an alien species. The problem is when that becomes a racial allegory, then you're saying that there are different attributes to different races, which obviously there are different social and cultural attributes, but that's true regardless of skin color. Um, But I just think it's problematic to, to imply that there are any kind of intrinsic differences um, between different people on this earth because of their ethnicity. Um, But also you know I wouldn't speak on that in one direction or the other because it's not my place. Um, Somebody much more qualified and much more um, able to see the episode through that kind of a lens could talk about it. But where I was, especially just in the middle of a hormone tsunami, um, when I watched this episode it just there, there's something else besides the idea of a kind of trans... Because the, the way I see it as any kind of trans-related um, symbolism is that in the episode, basically the thesis is that B'Elanna finds that she's incomplete as either-or. That it is, it is her heritage as a human Klingon that really does make her who she is. It gives her her courage, her strength... Her tenacity, her aggressiveness, you know, all the things that kind of define who she is as a person. Um, And what I see in, in relation to the trans experience is the idea that you're not just, it's not just the fantasy to become cis, because that would be, that's a dangerous line of thinking. But the thing is, you have to embrace being trans because that is who you are. You are trans. And that defines you in a very fundamental way that I think goes well and above just wanting to be cis. Um, You know, there's a reason that I think a lot of ancient and even contemporary cultures divine a kind of sacred symbolism on um, people who would maybe who would today be called trans folk um it's obviously very complicated with history but uh there's traditionally a sacred role in um most pre in a lot of pre-industrial societies for people who do not um who renounce their gender or who have very different relations um to their gender which i guess is a dumb way of putting it but you know what i mean And so, with Belana, she, at the end of the episode, and this episode's really interesting because it kind of, like, gets this sense of, I don't want to say trauma, but it it understands this sense of, like, support better than any of the fucking nightmare woke media we have today. Um, There's two scenes. One, when Belana first comes back into the... um, Because Belana Tom Paris, and... Uh, Rip Ensign um, get captured by the by the Vidians, who uh, are a really cool and spooky uh, villain in Voyager. They uh, if you if you listen to the Phage episode of the Subprime Directive, they talk about it a lot. Um, they are ravaged by a virus, which uh, is crazy a virus ravaging a population. Wild, can't imagine it. Um, and it basically erodes them and so they have to harvest the skin and and biological material and whatnot of other species and honestly they could have just been the bad guy of the show before like they didn't need the racist uh shit so when balana returns to the like housing barracks um tom paris is just kind of chilling and he sees her and 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 she's human it's the human uh, extract of of balana essentially of the of the two it's the human um and then she talks to tom and she kind of relays to him when she was young how much she dreaded being half klingon what, what a source of constant pain and um kind of and trauma like for her you know that kids tease her that she was an outcast she's an outsider um, she never felt at home you know she obviously has a very complicated relationship to her anger um, which we know Klingons have and Tom just kind of like he's just listen it, it's wild I mean Tom is the worst person in the world he's like a pig, misogynist sexist uh creep and he's like always being awful and and he just he just listens to her he like literally just stares at her and like kind of like like with this really emphatic um and empathetic look just kind of takes it all in and then and then tells her, you know, like, well, maybe you finally got your wish. Um, and, of course, you know, she doesn't know what to think about it. Um, she's obviously very uh, shaken up. And that was, that's cool. And then later, uh, when she's talking to Chakotay about, at the end of the episode, about, about basically this thesis that, that she's always going to be, you know, who she is in that sense, that she'll have the Klingon and the human parts feuding um within her uh and he he's like about to say something then he doesn't then he's about to say something and then he doesn't and then he kind of just like walks out of the room and it's basically just like yeah what do you say to somebody who's going through an intense emotional and spiritual and 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 you know journey of their self and and who they are and i think that really resonated with me with where I am in my transition and whatnot, is that it's just so hard to talk to people about it. And then when you do talk to people about it, you kind of... It's not ideal in the sense that, like, people want to say something when they don't... There isn't really anything for them to say other than, you know, I see you... I mean, it's obviously it's a cliche now because of the fucking nightmare libs, but, you know, basically affirmation is all that you require it sometimes um even if you're frustrated that it's harder to kind of put it all out there in in a sense and i don't know so that's cool that's a really cool thing in an episode of fiction that was on american tv and kind of seems wild that again we're in the hyper woke era and you don't see you generally don't see anything that subtle or nuanced everything today would be somebody throwing a party for someone because they're trans you know or n- naming a fucking battleship after a trans person so that's cool and 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 i understand that it it's complicated to talk about this idea of uh B'Elanna or anyone as, you know who you are balana is who she is is half klingon and half human and it's not that's not i understand that that's a complicated thing to say when i'm talking about Um, transitions, because in the very name, transition, transformation, it's the idea of a trans person or you know, queer or non-binary or whomever becoming who they would want to be or who they see themselves as always being. And and I think that's why I don't find it a, a troubling comparison, because when you're trans, you are always trans, and if you were trans, before you came out, you were most likely cis-identifying. The thing is, if you are trans, you are trans in your soul, and everything else emanates from that point outward. And and that's it. And I mean and that's kind of the same with Balana. She's born half human, half Klingon. She is born and, you know, her everything emanates from that point. And hell, you know, if Bolana wanted to stay one or the other, more power to her. If she wanted to just be human all her life, or if she wanted to just be Klingon all her life, you know? Good on her. It'd be cool if she was just Klingon. Um, I really like the way she talks in this. Um, I just um, re-watched one of my favorite DS9 episodes, which is The House of Quark. And um, I really like Grokka. She's probably one of my favorite characters in that show. She's a queen. Um and i like the way she talks i think it's the fangs i think it's the um, the the fangs that they have to weigh, wear that give them a weird affectation but i think they're also doing one and and Roxanne Dawson really does a wonderful job with hers she she just does it really really cool it's it's really interesting to the point that if this show had just split either. This show could, was, had not just a win-win scenario, it had a three-way win scenario. They could have made, anything could have happened at the end of that episode, and it would have been good. She could have become, it could have just been the Klingon Belana that we only have, amazing, excellent. It could have just been the human Belana really good. She had, her acting was so incredibly emphatic um, as a human. Or it could have been could have been Belana who we have, Or it could have been, you know, the two of them chilling on a ship, chilling on the Voyager, all all of them, good scenarios, all of them were fun because I think she was able to really divide herself um, acting-wise. And that's why I want to bring attention to when she is a human because there's a certain amount of vulnerability that she displays. And I think that is also what was really resonating with me when I was watching it. Because, you know, obviously, being a trans femme or a trans woman, when you are moving in the U.S. power dynamic, you're moving down. Um, You know, we live in a pretty inherently misogynistic uh, class culture. And when you embrace the feminine, when you make um, femininity your personal project, it is seen as weak because women are seen as weak and the thing is that in the hill dog uh, obliterate Libya mania kind of stance of like liberal feminists they think the counter to that is only to, ch- to project strength is to you know be like a girl boss who, who basically is just the woman equivalent of a male autocrat and what's so dangerous about that and what I think a lot of people on the left have been trying to do recently and, and for maybe the last like 20 years or so is to build a space for radical femininity. That being, I mean, you are vulnerable in so much as, I mean, in, in so much as everything. It's a, a a vulnerable position in an especially brutal and hostile society. And the thing is, it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's it, honestly, it's something to be proud of, especially if you're doing it at the explicit detriment of uh the ruling ideology and that's the way that i've always looked at it and that's kind of why it's always been a like a mark of pride for me what i really like is that Bellana, when she's human her arc is obviously that she she doesn't really have a lot of uh courage that she's she's pretty like afraid um which is reasonable because the vidians are nightmare people and they cut the other ensign's face off and the most grotesque scene in the episode. Oh yeah, I guess I should say the 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 doctor that's working on Bolana, on the Klingon Bolana specifically, has a big crush on her, which is understandable because Klingon women are um, bays. So Bolana is human, and and she you know when when she's confronted by a bunch of fucking Ghoul Biden looking uh, vid- Vidians, she she's very spooked. Then she breaks down to Tom a bit about it, about this state of uh, being weak and vulnerable, and. The Klingon side of her also accuses her of this. You know, without me, you'd be nothing. Uh, I'm the only one that gets us through anything. But then the, the kind of the, the, the you know, the, the these shows from this period are, are very, I, I'm appreciating very much in my advanced age of early 30s um, that they do something that just has absolutely been uh, scourged from the face of the earth of modern um, television and entertainment. They're, they're very, like, stage plays. Like, they're, they're we, we've also been watching uh, in, in our apartment, uh, Murder, She Wrote. And, it, and it, that one everyone really appreciates because it's... You're watching, like, these stage plays, kind of. They're episodic series. Even if they're joined by, you know, Voyager has an overarching kind of plot. But they're episodic. And the thing is, because of that, then you've got to hit all the beats in that episode. Because, I mean, that's what it is. You, you know, you can't... I mean, it's you watch a show like Strangler Things, and it's just—it's pathetic how much they they rely on just gimmicks and 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 teases, and and they un, don't resolve things. And it's just like, why, why would they in an episode? The episodes are just for those shows, just killing time. You, like, Watchmen, I'm sorry, any of them. I mean, Watchmen had that really good uh, Tulsa episode. But, you know, they're just, the thing is that they, they're, they're, they're so overarching. There's so many interconnected threads. You're, you're just trying to get to these big plot resolutions that one episode is, I mean, there are episodes of Boardwalk Empire where, like, nothing happens, where they don't do fucking shit. And it's just, like, why would they? And, you know, they're just, they're just treading in place, just waiting to get to that final. And obviously, you know, there's a lot of enjoyment in watching a complete narrative in that sense. But boy, boy oh boyfriend, when you when you get toked and you're just sitting there in a dark room, and you, and you get that one and done episodic narrative, it is it is sublime. It is bliss, and I really like the point in this one where Lana, the human version of her, is at a console, and the, the Vidians are firing their nightmare uh, organ-stealing guns. And she's not flinching. She's, you know, she's, she's trying, like, the human side of her, which the episode kind of intones uh, is the engineering side of her. Well, not even kind of, I think like, they basically say it, but it's the, it's the engineering side of her um, as opposed, which which, you know, Klingon's made into space. You know, let's give them credit where the credit's due. Uh, and they got cloak technology. Um, but the human side of her is essentially the engineer. And so she's at the console trying to um, get them out and the Klingon side of her is, you know, shocked. That she's not even like wincing at these death plasma pulses that are flying by her, and she's just like, you know, I'm I'm too busy to be scared. I'm I'm doing my job, and you know, I, I like that they gave both of them, and also that the the arc with the Klingon side of her is that she kind of, you know, she she has to stop looking down on the human side in so much as being like a weak pathetic, and I like that. I like it. And then, of course, like I said, there's that mo- there's that. Aw- I mean, Star Trek shows at this time are just real good with that final pithy moment that just, you know. I mean, DS Nine is is probably king of the castle. Um, they have so. I mean, the the scene where Odo comes in and tells Cisco and the rest of the uh, officers um, that the changeling he killed said that they are already like they've already lost. The changelings are everywhere. Star Trek is really good at that, and that you get that final one here with Chakotay. But even before that, you know, you get these res- resolutions, um, kind of. And I mean, as corny as it sounds, like when when you're in a pretty bad and depressive state, like like that kind of media can be very uplifting. I think because the thing is, life has to be built on these kind of mini like um, resolutions and uh, revelations, and even like in moments of triumph. In so much as you know you're working through things and coming to conclusions with them. So I really like that. And and again, the, there's just something so pressing to me about the idea of like vulnerability being depicted on film or on TV because I don't it's not really something we have because again, all cultural sides are fighting against it. Conservatives despise it. I mean, it's like if you're an alpha male proud boy dipshit like your whole philosophy is not to be like cocked it's not to be a soy boy it's not to be feminine in any capacity Um, and then on the other side are the hill dog uh, Harris people who think that you know that women are all Rosie the Riveter um, that that nobody ever can just women can't just ever exist in kind of proud of their femininity and, and, and proud of of how that makes them different from people, from men specifically. I worry that we're not, you know, we don't, we're not going to get, like, I mean, maybe this is silly to say that like a scene from a fucking Star Trek show is is never going to be replicated in its brilliance in the modern era of media consumption. I mean, I'm not that silly. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that outward displays of vulnerability are not re- on the cultural agenda of anybody who's in the material capacity of making media which i know we've all forgotten but media is a material thing it has material you know blocks it's it's capital it's a project of capital like not you know like all the others it takes immense amounts of wealth to to fund tv shows especially movies especially big blockbuster movies um you know, we get on the left, it's it's all about, is this good? Is this bad? Is this character problematic? Is this character problematic? And and obviously there's a, there's a place for all of that, of course. What I'm saying is that you have to remember that behind them are literal ghouls, demons, even if it's good, even if it's a good piece of media. Hey, I I love Birds of Prey. I think Doom Patrol is one of the best shows that's ever been on TV. And I, you know, I love Star Trek, but like, you know, the people who made these, who finance these, maybe not made them always, but who finance them are by and large literal demons. And I can't not think about this when I watch media because I think we all need to kind of be thinking about it. But at the same time, then I have no problem just completely diving into something and immersing myself in it and, and just kind of using it as semiotics, using it as language, using it as discourse. And, and that's also where I don't really see what the end goal is of the political project of trying to suss out what is good media, what is bad media, what is problematic media, what is not problematic media, is at the end of the day, I mean, it's all just media. It's it's, it's, it's a material thing and it's a dead thing. It, it doesn't speak. It only speaks when you press play. It only speaks to you. Um, it's not, you know, they, it's very different than a theater. That's, I think, the thing a lot of people, when, when they write you know, extended blog posts about things. It's like, it, media is very different than the theater. You're not going to the media and telling them things. You're not going to an Avengers premiere and yelling at Chris Pratt. Like, you know, they're, they're, there's complete material, class, and cultural separation between them and you, between the creators of these things and you, and, and also between the, the work and you, just because it's it's a dead thing. It, I mean, if, if aliens land a billion years from now and find a TV and Star Trek Voyager's on, What that show means to them is entirely different, on a fundamentally different level, than what it is to me and what it is to other people who who aren't connected to it. Even today on this earth, people need to remember that a lot when when you really dig in on something. Um, Because I mean, listen, I'm not even opposed to not banning things. I I think some things should be banned. I, I don't think like anyone needs to read the Turner Diary. I'm like absolutely not opposed to stuff like that. But it's just, all right, I'm I'm going way off on a tangent. You know what? I've been meaning to say that all for a while, and I had to get it out here. It would have come out here, or it would have come out in the second episode, or it would have come out in the third episode, or it would have come out in the fourth episode. But it's been on my mind a lot. Uh, I've been on Facebook too much, and it's been ruined to the surface. So I got it out, and that's what this podcast is all about. It's all about me just talking to a new one, except the NSA agent that is tasked with monitoring me. Hey, Larry. The other thing about this episode that kind of had my mind percolating was this idea of. I mean, the episode doesn't re, isn't really about. I mean, it's, it's a bit of an extrapolation, but but I'm going to make it obviously. But it's this idea that when you transition, you are a fundamentally new person. I mean, humans are fundamentally new people pretty frequently in in kind of the grand scheme of things. Um, I mean, our bodies regenerate at a rate that would, I think. Is it ten years? I, I forget, but it basically would constitute essentially a new person, um, in in the broadest sense imaginable. But but especially when things like your evolving mentality and your ever changing perception of the world and the way you process that perception goes, people do become fundamentally different. I mean, that's a thing that I guess would be like a break from whatever the thesis of the episode is, in that like. When you transition, you do become a completely different person. Um, actually, no, I guess it still applies. I mean, Belana as half Klingon and half human is a completely different person than bilana as human or Klingon. Um, and I think that's why I've had a lot of difficulty in reaching out or maintaining relations with um, people from my past, especially the further back you go. I, I want to, and I, I want to engage with those people, and I want to trust them, but I just, it's so hard to articulate just how different things are, how different I am, how different I feel, that it it just becomes daunting, it becomes overwhelming, Um, and you know, a little personal tid, um, after I watched that episode, I got hit by a real bad um, mood wave, and I was just basically curled up in a ball crying for a while, and... But you know what, though? It was cathartic. I mean, it always is. You know, I believe in uh, the cathartic purging of emotions. I mean, if you don't, you're a sociopath. And, you know, this episode helped make it a little more cathartic. Um, It kind of helped put it in... A little bit into light and that you know I mean gosh darn it if that isn't the goal of media and art generally I I don't know what is friends I tell you I actually did the opposite of what the intended goal of this uh, podcast was which is to immediately veer off topic I've actually been very faithful to the topic at hand and I think I might have exhausted most of the things I wanted to talk about and I still have a bit of time left wow that's a, That's a win. One win, my first day of my first day of work at podcasting. Um, in that phage episode, uh, my friend Nolet talks, she talks about putting Neelix on trial for the subprime directive. She talks about putting Neelix on trial and having him executed. She argues that case. And I, I may say that was a hasty decision. Um, but I, you know, as people I trust have told me Neelix does get better. I didn't want to believe them, but the whole point of scientific expedition is to take all the facts into consideration. I have to admit that Neelix does get better. He doesn't get great. He never gets as good as Phlox. Phlox is A-plus from the word go. He comes out of that gate just a fucking king. Unbeatable. Neelix is a monster, uh, but he does get better and and honestly i mean i i'm at the episode where i just finished the episode where he's being a total narc he's hanging out with his cool talaxian friend who's like yo Neelix, let's go do some cool drug deals let's go chill let's you know steal some warp plasma um for me from voyager and Neelix is just being a narc the whole time but he he does get better but i mean i i think given the evidence and the anecdotes that i had at the time or that Nora had at the time. I think having Neelix executed is the right call. Um, I guess it's good Janeway didn't do it. Because he does get a bit better. Um, in one episode, he just declares that he's a journalist. Which, okay, if, if you're listening to this... Well, if you're listening to this, hi, thanks. I appreciate it. If you're listening to this and you have not seen any Star Treks. Or or haven't seen Voyager. This must sound very peculiar. Um, and even if you have seen Star Treks and have seen Voyager, this is still going to sound insanely peculiar. Neelix, one episode just decides he's a journalist, just out of the blue. It's never happened before. It's never come up since. He just declared himself to be a journalist in the most ethical, rigorous model. I mean, he he's trying to Watergate something on Voyager. And it's just goes back to what i was saying about episodic television in that it's so funny to just be and th- this is why uh i'm as i'm sure you'll find out about me if you know anything about me I, I very much enjoy watching Frasier because if you get really high and you let Frasier play especially if you let it play in the background you just get to scenarios where you you can't even possibly conceive how, how you've gotten there how how the course of time and history has led you there because again when it's a prestige drama show every episode's a big deal every episode is telling the complete story you know but when it's episodic you just have these wild crazy I was thinking this morning the so I, I really like and I may, I may do a, uh, something on it I really like the Voyager episode um, where uh, George Takai's in it where We get to see Tuvok on um, the Bridge of the Excelsior, and I think it's a really good episode, and obviously they did that episode in commemoration of uh, TOS, while DS9 did um, Trials and Tribulations, and it's so funny to me that the Voyager episode is this very serious, um, very interesting, and very good kind of, like, uh, scientific drama, mystery plot. Um, I won't even ruin it for anyone who hasn't seen it. It's, It's really good. Um, and I highly recommend it. But then the ds nine one, this is the same franchise, same same studio, like same, more or less the same like like head people doing both of these shows. And it is just about them going back to Captain Kirk's time and just spoofing and goofing. and that's it. That's literally it. There is a plot. There is like a ticking time bomb. But overwhelmingly, that episode is just full of them all having a blast. They're just crashing around a Kirk-era space station, the one from the Tribulations episode, and they're just, uh, O'Brien and Bashir get stuck in a turbo lift because they don't know that it's not voice activated, and the first thing they do is they start tearing the wall apart to try and play with the wires. It's it's incredible. O'Brien wants to buy Kirk a beer, but it's also not Kirk. It's just some unnamed background nobody, but he's convinced that it's Kirk, and Bashir keeps quizzing him on it. Worf clearly looks like a Klingon, and they just put a do rag over his head, and then they're, they make a good joke about all the Klingons there that don't look like, you know, next-gen Klingons. Um, I mean, I won't ruin the whole thing, but it, it's real good, and it's just episodic television. That's how you get the goods. Doom Patrol comes real close. Doom Patrol is not episodic, but it, it might as well be. It kind of really straddles the line. Doom Patrol is actually probably, I think, the only thing, the only kind of format you can do now because, like I said, I think prestige is just dead. I think it's a dead, dying, bloated U.S. imperial corpse of a genre. I think it sucks, and I think people should stop watching it. And what I think you should do, or anyone would do, is something like Doom Patrol, where it is an overarching like story. Like Doom Patrol has like a macro narrative, and then it also each season has like, like, like a its own narrative that is very usually very tied to the macro narrative. The second season real good, and then each episode is just kind of different interesting situations that happen to the characters to our characters as they're both exploring themselves and as they're both like exploring and trying to get to their own resolutions with like like i said both the macro and the like slightly less macro plot of the season and the show generally you know it's very it's very ds9 it's it's very good but it's you know it's it's very it looks really good um The joke, the joke is the the humor. It's the only time I've ever seen vulgar humor on TV recently done even remotely good. You know, like since Trailer Park Boys, we've just it's just been a black hole of of like thirty eight year old Hollywood liberals writing scripts with things that they think they think are jokes, and then it gets shared on Facebook by people's aunts, and everybody loves it. But Doom Patrol is really good and funny. It the the vulgarity is very. I mean, it's obviously gets a lot of Grant Morrison in it, but the vulgarity is just it, it's just funny. It, it's just funny things happen. Or they're smoking a joint like like in a little tiny miniature town, and that's just like kind of a funny sight gag. There's a lot of funny sight gags. And Robot Man is kind of always funny, just like the way they got that body to move, and the way like Brandon Fraser does the kind of affectations are always very good. They're never annoying. I mean, that's the thing is that show could have so easily been just like a really obnoxious I mean you know the thing is you watch a movie like Captain Marvel and you just think that like the culture industry that Adorno and Horkheimer prophesized has not only come true and hypernormalization is not only here to stay but like all of these things have come have become so true that they've melded into the walls and, and it's the only reality we know anymore And then you see, you know, like something good. And you see a director or a creative team make a good choice. And it it warms your heart a little. I mean, don't get me wrong. Everything I said earlier is still valid. I mean, it's still lizards that are funding most of this stuff. And, you know, I mean, for better or for worse, most mainstream U.S. media is fairly, is pretty much propaganda. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not anything like that. I'm not saying it's all propaganda. But, I mean, functionally... You know, you have to ask yourself, what are the values being pushed? What are the ideas of normalcy being propagated through the characters, through the world, through the setting, through the situations? And in that capacity, you know, what are the passive politics? That's a big one, you know. Um, and in that capacity, I mean, we're in, we're in one of the most reactionary eras. Um, definitely in my life, it's probably, honestly, we're probably only just slightly less openly reactionary than 2001, than the 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 era around 2001. I mean, uh, yeah, like things like we've the thing is, we've got one compromise now that I think a lot of liberals and even a lot of people on the left have kind of mistaken for progress. We've got one compromise is that the ruling class knows that they have to be a little woke. That's basically the only difference between now and 2001. I mean, look at Biden's administration, hyper neo reactionary, seriously, devil people. I mean, they're like. Everything that comes out of that administration is, is as bad as anything Trump did. And there's been no break between the two men. And the culture has followed it. The liberal culture has, has was so high off of four years of telling itself how much better than Trump it was. And now that they've gotten their big win, they're, and, and they defeated Bernie and, and, and kind of like Twitter socialists, whatever... They're absolutely convinced of their own cultural superiority, and they're untouchable. They think everything they do is the divine will of God. And and they've never been more further disconnected from the American working class. There's never been a period of U.S. history, I think, where the culture, perhaps in like minus the 18th century, where the culture has been so far from the actual material concerns and realities of working people. There's no relation. All the shows you love watching, like, and this includes all the shows I love watching, probably includes Doom Patrol. Everything you enjoy watching is made, especially on the, the further up you go the line, which is like a film term um, when you get to things like, like writers, producers, directors, um, editors, people who, who hold sway over major creative decisions of a work the further you go up that line, I mean, those people's politics and those people's reality nothing like yours. They don't share the same concerns you do. It doesn't matter how woke their show is. It really doesn't at all. They don't have any of the same values that you do. Sometimes they do. Occ- occasionally, you know, especially film, I think, is is because television is such a regulated um, kind of just wasteland now of, of, of just everyone trying to outdo the others, chasing some kind of fake algorithm. That I think really movies are the only place you get people um, like Boots Riley, like who, who can make good independent left films, you know, but it it's rare and... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's depressing, obviously. And so that's the kind of cultural apparatus we have. And I just described the political apparatus, which, as I said, neo-reactionary Democratic Party, neo-neo-hyper-reactionary Conservative Party. Yeah, that creates a cultural, political environment that I think is is, is highly conservative and reactionary. And like I said, the only compromise is, is the wokeness. And, and I'm sorry, we get nothing out of it. I don't get health care from people being woke online. It doesn't give me anything. It doesn't give anyone anything. It, it's purely an affectation. And and I know that's a bad word and people are going to take, you know, offense to it. I, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have disciplined leftist political practices. I'm quite the opposite. To just make sure that I'm not stepping on anyone's identity, that I'm not forgetting anyone, that I'm not overshadowing, that um, I... I cancel i mean the thing is you don't cancel celebrities they're all canceled there's a few that maybe are okay but for overwhelmingly you have to assume these people are fucking ghouls you can't like i said all the facts you know to quote tuvok the logic would state that they're all guilty until proven otherwise so i don't know we cancel celebrities but just cancel hollywood abolish hollywood this whole get rid of the whole celebrity class system it's all rotten it's garbage um, and, and I'm sick of hearing about celebrity queer people. I'm sorry, it doesn't really matter. It's the same thing. It doesn't get anyone health care. And I can hear someone already screaming, wow, representation matters. Has it won us anything in 30 years? Has it gotten us anything? What was the last big progressive victory? Gay marriage? I mean, what? It's nothing. We've got nothing. They're giving us literally nothing. They're not even giving us good media anymore. All the shows suck. Movies are terrible. We're not even getting... Music's really good. You know, again, that's mostly people doing their own thing. We're not getting anything, you know? And, and the thing is, I'll watch a show like Voyager from the 90s, 90... Um, I think the, the episode where they go to L.A. is 97, um, which I think is two seasons later. But, you know, I'll watch those, and I'll, and I'll derive all kinds of things from it because it's a text. It's media. It's, it's something you engage, whether that means you engage with it in a good, bad way. I mean, I don't watch, you know, Birth of a Nation enraptured by the story i watch it almost entirely critical but also from a historical perspective and you know i'll watch this episode and and kind of just really help process and understand who i am as a as a trans person and i'll take that over the new some new hbo show that's going to be or not even let's let's say it's going to be a disney plus show it's going to be about um a trans duck and Everyone's gonna, it's gonna, they're gonna, Disney, it's gonna be, the guy who's gonna direct it is gonna be some Jeffrey Epstein associating uh, chum. It's gonna be funded by the devil them, himself. But like, you know, all Disney, I mean, it just bothers me how easy it is these days. All Disney has to do is put out the PR, a few, everyone will bite, everyone will start sharing and go, oh my god, I can't believe this, this is huge. And then it makes, an obscenely disgusting corporation, which, can I remind you all, well, Disney has been real bad lately. They fucked up the pandemic. They did real bad. They treated people like shit. They made their fucking employees come into a death park in the m- height of the fucking surge in Florida. They laid off a bunch of people. They gave their executive bonuses. Fuck Disney. And if you defend them, fuck you too. Um, they're gonna, The Disney is gonna, they're gonna make a, a trans duck and... It's going to be on every social media. Everyone's going to be talking about how important it is. If you say it's not important, you're going to get dunked on for this or that. If you say it is, you're going to get this or that. And, you know, the end result is just a nightmare company making a bunch of fucking money. So, honestly, I 90s TV, God bless you. No one's making money from it as much anymore because... Well, this I had to watch on Netflix. Voyager I don't have, but um, everything else you should probably try and download or acquire. Um, you know, in any way that suits you, is what I'll say. It'll make the media viewing experience that much more enjoyable. All right, well, I I don't really have anything else to say. Um, I mean, maybe I do, but, you know, I'll probably just start talking about Deep Space Nine, and I've got lots of episodes to talk about Deep Space Nine about, and Noel is on a whole podcast where she can talk about Deep Space Nine. But I will give you a do. I will bid you a Bye. Um, I love you all, and if you've listened all the way to the end, I really love you. And then one of them said that they had completely extracted my Klingon DNA.